I believe the people are ready to receive. So let's do this. Let's do this. You're listening to Cross Culture Podcast where Prophet Angel Caleb takes you behind the scenes to unlock the supernatural in the natural and the natural in the supernatural. This is kingdom living in everyday life. This is journeying with the King of glory. This is leading you to the feet of Jesus. This is Prophet Uncut. This is Cross Culture. Thank you, Prophet, for the powerful release over your listeners. Thank you for choosing to stand in the gap and for choosing to go ahead of those who are in need of a pulling up from wherever they're at. The ground truly is leveled at the feet of the cross. Thank you for reminding us of that. So Prophet, if you can just pick up from where we last left off, you stated something so powerful about the basic meaning of what cross culture is. In your words, cross culture basically means how to cultivate the power of the cross in our everyday life. So Prophet, how then does cross culture differ from Christian culture? Oftentimes, I believe that these two terms are used interchangeably, but from what I'm understanding, they're not actually the same thing. Yes, I think that is a real issue among believers today. There's a, uh, a mixing up of these two terms. Uh, we believe they're both the same when we state Christian culture or we state cross-culture. I think our minds kind of go to the same place. In this season, God really wants to remove that cloak, that veil from our eyes, you know, um, in Sowell's terms, scales to be removed from our eyes because God did not call us for a Christian culture. And I think this is going to be a statement that's really going to ruffle a lot of feathers. Christ Jesus did not um, come to this earth. He did not come and live out this consecrated kingdom life for us just to create this Christian culture, okay? I was part of a Christian culture. And here's the thing, Christian culture is man-made. Now, this is probably going to maybe even upset some people when we say that, but I believe a lot of, you know, biblical terminologies have taken on a sour taste in our society. You know, when you say Christian, a lot of people don't want to deal with you. Why is that? You know, yes, when you look at, you know, biblical times, Christ, he was a reformer. He was uh, a pioneer. He came to challenge mankind into a higher living. Yes, but the, the sour taste that Christian culture is leaving in people's minds or lives in this generation is not the same level. We cannot compare that to the, the level of challenge or opposition or you know, ruffling that Christ himself brought. Christian culture, so if I'm to try to break down Christian culture, Christian culture is doing things that allow us to maintain an identity of belonging to a community. I believe we've developed a vain standard in among Christians in order for us to identify ourselves as Christians. You know, we've got to speak a certain way. We've got to look a certain way. We've got to dress a certain way. We've got to move a certain way, Christians. Don't go to certain places, Christians. Avoid certain things. Or, you know, there's just this vain standard that's developed and the standard is surface level. It doesn't go beyond the surface. And I don't believe 
it was meant to do that. I believe the work that God does in us starts from the inside and it's to, you know, work its way out. But somewhere along the line, it got lost. I believe we got lost somewhere along the line. I believe we got to this place where now what we did was we looked at people who walked ahead of us and we looked at their lifestyles. We looked at their stories. We looked at their experiences. And instead of asking ourselves the questions, how did they get here? We looked at where they are at and said, I want to be where they're at. And so what happened is because we're in like a a quick fix generation, we want everything to happen so fast. We've lost processes. We no longer go through processes. The, the, you know, our forefathers, you know, missionaries, strong men, men and women of God that walked ahead of us. They didn't look a certain way. They didn't speak a certain way because they were trying to imitate what they saw in past generations before them. They became a certain way. They looked a certain way. They lived a certain way. A lifestyle was developed from little decisions they made in their everyday life. Little character shiftings and devotions with the Lord and commitments to God and and pursuing Christ in the secret place allowed them to emanate this external image. But what I believe happened in our generation is we've idolized that image And we're trying to imitate that image. Like if I'm Christian, I have to look like that. And if I don't look like that, I'm not a Christian. And that's not at all what Christianity was ever meant to be. That's not at all what Christ wanted it to be. Christ is not looking for us to become this like robotic group of individuals that have no uniqueness, no individualism, nothing, you know, special about ourselves. We all look the same. We sound the same. We speak the same. And this is where we're heading, you know, and this is why we've lost, if I, if I may add, this is why we've lost the next generation. This is why a lot of young people are walking out of the churches. They don't want anything to do with Christianity because they're not looking to just feel Christian. If Christ be so real, I don't need to force myself to look a certain way, sound a certain way, move a certain way, right? It becomes so legalistic. The Christian culture is, um, I believe, an ideal that we idolize in order to make ourselves or in order to make a specific community group feel morally all right before some sort of higher being. In this case, Christian culture before Christ. So we may feel morally great, but just because we feel a certain way, as we know with life experiences, you can feel a certain way, but that doesn't mean that's actually who you are or that's actually what's happening inside of you. I can feel miserable, but actually be living a very good life. I can feel super great about how I'm living, but be living a wretched life before the eyes of the Most High. Right. So from what I'm understanding, the Christian culture is seeming to be a composition of vain ideals or false ideals that people are trying to attain or trying to live by. So in other words, it's a vain attempt to reach a false ideal that we as a society have falsely deemed as the standard. Christian culture is man-made, it is religious, it is false standards that are put ahead of the process. It is end results that are being idolized. So we're trying to fake it. You know, and let's be honest, how many of you listening right now, you know, if I can just speak to the listeners right now, how many of you from the Christian faith can truly admit to the fact that there were seasons and times where you were struggling mad to be a Christian? Like, you're like, man, I'm not Christian enough. Let's be honest. We don't want to go there. We don't want to talk about this. You know, am I praying enough? Am I reading the word enough? If, you know, is my clothing modest enough? Is my hair, you know, decent enough? Is my speech uh, spiritual enough? Are my goings and my comings, you know, holy enough? And it's con- this constant striving 
to feel good enough. This is what the Christian culture is. The Christian culture is, is what we've made it to be. It's what we've made it to be. I believe it's a, it's a community doing. I believe it's a man-made doing. I believe it's a religious doing. And the Christian culture has absolutely nothing to do with the cross culture. The Christian culture is a dangerous culture. It was never the culture that Christ meant for us to become a part of. Culture, it's a sense of identity, right? Our identity is not Christianity. Our identity is not a religion. Our identity is our Lord. I get that, Prophet. That really hits home because... When the focal point of this journey is to reach a false ideal, we have no choice but to strive. I was there. I can tell you that legalism was strong. You know, we just wanted people to fit in. This is the ideal. And the reason I believe that I kind of got into that was because I put that same standard on myself. You know, and I expected other people to do the same. If we were to be a real good Christian, this is what it looks like. Our characters are nasty. Our speech is nasty. We got no compassion, empathy in our heart. We don't know how to love others. We don't know how to serve others. We don't know how to, we don't even know how to take care of ourselves well. We're emotionally sick. We're sick in the heart. We're sick in the spirit. But our daily pursuits are how can I look Christian enough? Come on. How sad is that? And that's what Christian culture is. And that's what I believe the Lord is looking to break off of this generation, generations to come is this false ideal. We need to stop looking at our forefathers, you know, and those that walked ahead of us and say, look at how they are, look at how they look, and that's the standard. No, look at their processes. The fruits will appear differently in everybody's life. It will look different in everybody's life, but the processes, the inner work will be the same. The inner work is a killing of the flesh, is a killing of pride. Even the lack of knowledge dies. Ignorance dies. You know, this is what God really wants. He doesn't really care for us to as quickly imitate a specific standard that's not his desire he, the lord's not looking for us to quickly imitate a standard no he desires for us to meet him at the feet of the cross with our mess i mean the truth will set us free i think there's an aspect of truth that got lost as christian culture developed and got strong that makes so much sense prophet because we become blind to the fact that this life is a journey and that we need to go through the process. We need to be processed. This life is a process. How can one truly go through an authentic process with the Lord if there is no space for vulnerability? Another aspect of Christian culture is this heavy, heavy, heavy notion of don't show anybody your weakness. Don't show anybody your infirmity. Don't show anybody what you're struggling with. Do you, do you understand that there, there are ministers that are preaching every Sunday and struggling with pornography Monday to Saturday? Do you understand that there are prophets, apostles, evangelists, teachers, shepherds that are, they're, they're going through their own marriage struggles, you know? They've lost the flame. They've lost the passion of love in their, in their own marriages, yet they're at church every Sunday preaching about, you know, husbands learning to love your wives and taking care of your families. And this has to end. Like, this, this has to end. We can, we've got to break this false ideal. And it, it's not to blame ministers. I believe it's a community affair. I believe we've done it together. I believe as a congregation, we stopped allowing ministers from being authentic. Because the minute they show any sense of real human side... We shun them. You're not good enough to be a pastor. Get out of here. Next. So there's this fear like, oh man, I got to maintain the standard because, hey, they're following me, you know? So ministers have to put on this false image, you know, because the congregation is putting this pressure on them to be less than human. But then what the congregation doesn't realize is when we put our ministers to that standard, 
we're putting ourselves to that standard because now even us as believers cannot reveal our own infirmities now. We cannot be real about our struggles. We cannot be real about our confusions. What about our doubts? What, what about like the doubts that we're dealing with in our Christian faith? When was the last time there was a safe space in the church for people to come together and say, man, I'm really doubting how real this Jesus thing is. Can we do that in the church? No, we could, we could probably do that, you know, at a coffee shop. We could do that at the club. We could do that, you know, at somebody's house, at a barbecue party where I'm like, yeah, I left the faith. I left the church because I was doubting Jesus. Why is there not a safe space for our doubts? Why is there not a safe space for our questions, our concerns, you know, to talk things out? This is what Christ wanted. But now we have a space, you know, um, where everybody has to come in their best clothes. We got to come in with our best image. We got to bring in all our strengths. That's what we're going to show, you know. And at the end of the day, we're getting weaker. You know, tumors are spreading. Sickness is growing. Heartache is getting worse. People are bleeding themselves to death secretly all while being a part of what we like to call a Christian community, Christian culture. And this has to end. This is what Christian culture is. I'm going to be so frank and real about it. And um, it's going to upset people when they hear me say this. I've said this for years. I've spoken about this for decades. It's nothing new. And I believe he's calling us for an awakening, a rude awakening, if I may add. A rude awakening into this new realm of liberty where... Nothing is too much for us to discuss. Nothing is too hard for us to bring to the altar of God. Can we just be real again? I believe that's what the cross culture was. I mean, you saw Christ hanging up there on the cross, right? These disciples and a whole bunch of people, Jews and all, you know, stood there and they watched him hanging there on that tree, crying out the words, why have you forsaken me? I mean, I don't know if there's any space for that kind of crying out in the Christian culture. But there is room for that in the cross culture. And I know some people are feeling that broken, that lost, that much in despair. And they do want to cry and say, God, why have you forsaken me? Or God, have you forsaken me? Or God, are you even there? Or, hey, I met the Lord in that state. You know, I'll be sharing more on that in, in upcoming episodes, but... We need to open up our lives again to Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that can only happen at the cross. The cross is where we are raw, we are legitimate, we are authentic, where my bleeding is exposed, my cuts are exposed, my wounds are exposed, my shame is out there in the open. Like I, I'm shaking a bit as I'm sharing this, you know, because can you imagine what would happen? Not just to ourselves, you know, but to those around us, neighbors, colleagues, friends, family. Do you understand how much room we're making? It's time to make room. Yes, it's time to make room. It's time to make room for vulnerability, for authenticity. It's time to allow people to be real, to be raw, to come with their flaws, to come with their baggage and not be ashamed of their imperfection. So Prophet, if we can sum up what you had shared in a few words in terms of the distinction between cross culture and Christian culture, what would it be? So in other words, if you were to fill in the blanks, cross culture would be blank and Christian culture would be 
blank. The main difference between Christian culture and cross culture is the source. Christian culture is birthed from man's perspective. It's birthed from man's capacity, man's understanding. When I say man, I don't necessarily just mean the male, you know, I'm just speaking in general terms, you know, mankind, um, from human capacity. It's birthed from a human capacity, whereas cross-culture requires a higher source. The thing with the cross is, the, the, the whole symbol of the cross, you know, when you think about the cross, Calvary cross, the whole symbol of the cross, it represents the welcoming of the flesh, yes. The beating of the flesh, yes. The crucifying of the flesh, yes. But that is paired with, that goes hand in hand with a divine move. If I'm to sum all that up in maybe a line, I believe Christian culture is uh, heavily set on this notion of exclusivity, okay? Exclusivity, whereas um, cross-culture is heavily anchored in liberty, okay? And that's the difference. That's, that's the difference. What a necessary conversation, Prophet. Thank you for sharing that. This is a topic that's very close to heart. And if I may say so, I'm sure that many of your listeners will feel the same way. So Prophet, the slogan that we've been hearing behind cross-culture Prophet Uncut is kingdom living in everyday life, journeying with the King of glory, leaning into the feet of Jesus, the diary of a prisoner of love, Calvary love. These four facets of cross-culture Prophet Uncut are absolutely fascinating and i would just love to know how each of these facets relate to this notion of cultivating the cross in our everyday life um so let's start with kingdom living in everyday life what is kingdom living in everyday life cultivating the cross i think is really the thread that's going to be running throughout these cross-culture prophet uncut podcasts i love the way you describe that the facets of cross-culture is kingdom living in everyday life journeying with the king of glory uh leading you to the feet of jesus and the diary of a prisoner of love calvary love i guess that maybe i could just break it down briefly because i mean there's a lot to unpack in each of these aspects each of these facets in many of the upcoming episodes and topics that we discuss and share on we're going to be unraveling and unpacking each of these facets a lot more i would like to share briefly you know what each of these facets represent in regards to cultivating the cross because it will set us up it will help us prepare both mentally emotionally and spiritually for what is to come for what more god is going to be speaking and teaching us on kingdom living in everyday life Simply put, that is the, if I can say it this way, the meshing uh, or the merging of the natural and the supernatural. I believe there are two extremes often found among believers where we are either completely in this supernatural living kind of pursuit where we, it gets a little bit too sci-fi. You know, everything's up in the air. Everything is spiritual warfare, angels and demons. And we're always floating. And I don't know, you know, we're always moving between the seven heavens. And, you know, and that's not to in any sense degrade or disregard the power of the supernatural. Because the one that's speaking right now is a prophet that barely sleeps. Because the Lord be speaking in the wee hours of the night through dreams and visions and all kinds of different facets like that. So 
don't mistake me for someone who is degrading or disregarding the supernatural, not at all. But I believe it's also the new age movement. There's a lot of new age beliefs that have come out. And so a lot of people are now, just the whole charismatic movement has gotten people into this mixture where we no longer understand the real supernatural from witchcraft, black magic, you know, and all of this is real. And I do want to state that, you know, it is real. Angels and demons are real, but we are on this earth. <laughs> Our feet must touch the ground. You know, there's an expression, right? When the rubber hits the road, you know, that's Christian in everyday life. Like the rubber has to, it's not in your prayer room. And then there's the other extreme, right? Where people have seen too much of the crazies and they ran and they're just like, well, this is too much. I don't know what y'all are doing. I don't know what you're laughing about. I don't know what you're, you know, this spirit, that spirit, everything is demonic. Everything is evil. Like, do I live in a, my own little bubble or a bunker somewhere? Like, how do you, you know? So people ran. I, a lot of people I know even personally have departed from the faith, departed from the church, departed from the whole Christian culture, quote unquote. And thank God you departed from the Christian culture. But I don't thank God that you ran the complete opposite extreme. So we're going to be pulling some of y'all back, okay? We got to be pulling some of y'all back because there is a happy medium. There is a, a good balance that we need to attain because come on, let's be real, Jesus Christ was God, was our Father, was Creator God made into flesh. He wasn't flying around Galilee. He was walking. He was eating. He was talking. He was at all the weddings. He was crashing all the parties. He was causing political disturbances. He was flipping some tables in the temples. Like, he was operating in the earth. You know, frying fish on the beach shore, you know. <laughs> so Christ is the epitome of what kingdom living in everyday life is. And that's what that first slogan is, kingdom living in everyday life, is to come back from the two extremes. Because if some people are either too far out into the supernatural, and there's another bunch that are too far out in the natural. They're going, well, God gave us this life, and we should just live it up, and we should just enjoy it. But what they, what they end up doing is they end up despising the fact that we're called to journey with him. So that brings me to the second facet, which is journeying with the king of glory. Because it's not just kingdom living in everyday life. It's kingdom living in everyday life while journeying with the king of glory. We've got a pilot who's willing to help us get to where we need to get to. You know, we've got um, the Holy Spirit. He, we've got to cooperate with the Holy Ghost. We've got to walk with the Lord. You know, he didn't just give us this life. He didn't just redeem us. Okay, go do whatever the heck you want. You know, true liberty even is is not being able to do whatever the heck you want. I believe true liberty is having the ability to do whatever we want and not feel bound to do everything we want. Having that control, self-control, to say, though I can do all things, I'm going to do that which edifies. That is true liberty. And that's journeying with the king of glory because now you understand, okay, there's a happy medium between natural and supernatural where, you know, we can be human, guys. <laughs> Let me just put that out there. We can be human. We can live life, <laughs> you know, enjoy life, um, eat well, enjoy your friendships, enjoy your family, you know, um, pursue your careers, have great education opportunities and, you know, travel and, you know, go on vacation, take a break, you know, and we can live. <laughs> if I can just put out there, you know, but... We, we must learn to journey with him and allow Christ to, number one, not be ashamed. Not be ashamed to have Christ a part of our everyday life. 
So journeying with the King of Glory is really allowing Christ to be a part of the highs and lows of our life, not just allowing Christ to be a part of the church aspect of our life, not just allowing Christ to be a part of my prayer time or my devotion time, but hey, I'm heading out. I just want to hang out with some people today. Is Christ going to come with me? Or do I have to leave him at home because my social gatherings are going to be unsanctified? Um, but also another aspect of that is our highs and lows, you know, where everything's going well in our life. We celebrate the goodness of God. How about when things are not going really well? Or even the opposite. When things are really tr- troublesome, we're seeking God, we want his intervention. And then when things are great, who's God? Christ who? So journeying with the King of Glory, that's... Um, The second facet of cultivating the cross, this is how we make room for our flesh to be dealt with and for our spirit to be activated. That's what cross culture is, cultivating the cross. That was actually going to be my next question and you answered it um, quite superbly, I might add. So I'm just going to follow up on that. How does all of this, you know, kingdom living in everyday life and journeying with the King of Glory correlate to leading one to the feet of Jesus? I believe step one and two, like facet one and two, will take us into that place of surrendering ourselves to his lordship. Because the more we allow ourselves to open our lives to Christ, and not just the church life, and not just, you know, the spiritual side of our living, you know, when we allow Christ to be a part of our everyday life, when we allow Christ to be a part of our highs and our lows, can we allow Christ to be a part of our relationships? Can I go there? Can can Jesus be involved in our marriage pursuits? I love how we, we pray about everything, right? We pray about God, you know, I'm praying for a new job. God, I'm praying, you know, I'm about to get a new car. I'm about to get a new home. But when it comes to relationships, we have our own system. We have a dating game. We got this. Where's Jesus in that? Where's Christ in that? And there was this quote I read once that really stuck with me is, until your spiritual life and your life become one, both are going to be miserable. And so I believe kingdom living in everyday life, journey with the king of glory will lead us to the feet of Jesus. Because when you start to incorporate Jesus in the way, you know, you move, the way you hang out in your social circles and your relationships or marriage pursuits or career pursuits or learning to cook or God, I'm about to, you know, go on this trip or, you know, whatever. Just allowing the spirit of God to be present allows us to recognize, wait, he is Lord on my life. Lordship is really the submitting before a higher power. It's not just acknowledging a higher power. There's many people that have acknowledged a higher power, but have you submitted I mean, as much as he desires to be our comforter and our friend, he is also God Almighty, the just judge, our standard, our holy, blemishless king. And so when we acknowledge lordship and we choose to stay at his feet and allow him to be sovereign and say, God, as much as you've put, you know, these characters in me and these desires inside of me, nonetheless, I lay these back to your feet, removing the crowns that he gives us and laying it back to his feet and saying, God, nonetheless, I want you to filter it out. I want you to sanctify it. I want you to allow it to be worked on in such a way that when I do move in it, it won't be for my glory, but it will be for your glory, you know? So, um, that's leading, that's the whole facet of leading, um, leading you to the feet of Jesus. He is Lord. He's our high priest. Um, He's been tempted in every way that we could possibly be tempted and has not fallen short. I love your sign off. 
Diary of a Prisoner of Love, Calvary Love. It's so unique and I've been so drawn to it. And I'm, I've honestly never heard of anything like that before. I mean, where did that come from? I just know that there's a story behind it. So Prophet, could you please share or just explain the story behind it? Where did Prisoner of Love, Calvary Love come from? I don't, to be honest, I don't really remember when or how it came about. I, I do know it was in my early years of walking with the Lord. Actually, no, I do remember now. I thank the, I thank the Lord for bringing that back to remembrance. So I had a diary and I used to you know, write regularly in that diary. And I remember after my encounter with the Lord, I was probably around 14, 15 at that point. I had been, you know, walking it out, you know, briefly already for a short amount of time with the Lord. And I remember I finally brought my diary out again and I was about to, this is kind of my like first entry post encounter. And I remember opening my diary and I was led in my spirit to read through some of my old entries. And so as I was reading through my old entries, it was pretty sad teenage diary you know it's like tear diary why is life so tough and you know this that you know it's all about you know you know um sappy teary weepy kind of sounds and as i came to the last entry um i stopped for a second i remember thinking to myself i said wow that's not me anymore and as i took my pen i was just led in my spirit to start writing instead of dear diary i wrote dear abba and my diary flipped it went from dear diary in a sense, writing to myself, just to sulk, to now writing to my father. And from that day onwards to this day, I do have my diary. I got my journals and, you know, things like that. And I often will write entries where it's just Dear Abba. And with time, I would often stop and go back and reread my entries. And I realized I'm not a prisoner to my despair anymore. I'm a prisoner to love because by the end of every entry, no matter how tough that entry was, it always ends with, Something along the lines of, but I thank God that I'm yours now and forevermore. And I remember reading um, Passion and Purity, if I'm not mistaken. That was the book. Uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot, she, she wrote many books. She was a missionary. And Calvary Love was by Amy, Amy Carmichael and Passion and Purity. Guys, check those out, by the way, if you haven't already. Um, it will draw you into the most beautiful romance with the king, you know our maker, our lover. And so I remember reading Passion and Purity. I remember coming across, it's like a small little um, release by Amy Carmichael called Calvary Love. And after every write-up she would write, and this is Calvary Love, and this is Calvary, and that's where it officially settled in my spirit. I am a prisoner of love, but not everyday love, not worldly love. I'm a prisoner of Calvary love. And that's where the whole diary of a prisoner of love came to be. The whole facet of it in regards to cultivating the cross though, what it represents is the call to come to a place where they too can experience the beauty of becoming a prisoner of Calvary love, where now you are, no matter how high or how low your life may take you, that love is sufficient. His love. You know what kept me guys 19 years and, and counting? What's kept me? I haven't I mean, I've gone through a lot, you know, over the years, but my faith has been secure in him. What's kept me is not theology, it's not doctrines, it's not the Christian culture, it's not even the church community, it's not mentors, or, you know, no, it is Christ, the love, the love, the love of Calvary has kept me. Why can I not leave this faith, guys? Why have I only gotten crazier and wilder? Because his love gets sweeter, my Lord, I cannot... Man, I wish I knew how to express this better. I really hope, you know, it's 
touching somebody out there as you're hearing me because I really honestly, sometimes I, I say, I don't know how to express this. You know, it's hard for me to express why I am the way I am. His love has gotten sweeter with every season. I am bound, man. I am a prisoner and I'm so proud. I am so proud to be a prisoner of Calvary love because his love keeps me. Man, yeah, and I won't trade it for nothing. Unless you can show me a love that's sweeter. That's my challenge. I tell people, everybody who says, hey, you're a bit too much. All right, show me another way. You got something sweeter <laughs> than the love of Calvary. Um, I'm in. I'm still waiting, guys, <laughs> by the way. And those of you who did put out that challenge to me, you know, who came to challenge my devotion to Christ. Over the years, I had a lot of people challenge my devotion. Hey, you're too firm. You're too strong. You're too this. You're too feisty. You don't got no love in your heart. You're preaching too strong. No, 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 no. Don't come at me like that. You have a love that's sweeter than Calvary love. I'm all years. Still waiting. <laughs> but I know it's not coming because it doesn't exist. I hope that kind of sums up um, the four facets of, um, of cross-culture, cultivating the cross in everyday life. You know, the whole profit uncut is really based on those four facets of, of living. Yeah. That's really amazing. Thank you for sharing that, Prophet. I know that everything that was spoken today came from a profound place of reflection, of experience. And I just want to thank you for getting vulnerable and taking the time to share with us um, what's on your hearts. I think that this is a good place to wrap up the introduction to cross-culture Prophet Uncut. In the next episode, Prophet, you're going to be sharing more on your life, your upbringing, and how cross-culture has played a role in literally rescuing you from the Christian culture that had been draining you for all these years, um, from you trying to just strive and prove yourself to the world. I'm very excited for the next episode, and if I can speak on the behalf of you listeners, I think that they will be too. Thank you for listening to Cross-Culture Prophet Uncut. Stay tuned, and we'll see you in the next episode.